What is the story that the facts are telling? Because I'm going to remember the story first, and then uh, then the facts will will come after the story. But the story is my anchor that's going to take me to the facts. I'm David Oti, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. In this episode, you will hear a conversation with Nancy Geary. Nancy is a trainer and a designer of online courses, mostly for businesses. Whether you are designing a course or planning a presentation, there are certain common elements you have to consider if you are going to meet your audience where they are and take them where you want them to be. Welcome to another episode of The Power of Story and Science. I'm David Odie, your host, and on this program we have both content and conversations, and today I'm pleased that I'm going to have a conversation with someone whom I've gotten to know recently by the name of Nancy Geary, and you'll be hearing more from her in just a moment. Nancy has a background in business and in creating courses So she has communication skills that I think will be beneficial to this audience. Uh, Nancy, welcome. Thank you. I'm very happy to be with you today. I'm happy to have you here. And I wonder if you would like to get us started by telling us um, a little bit about your background and how you got into doing what you are currently doing. Okay. Well, many years ago, when fairly early in my professional career... We needed to train a group of people that worked in a bank in insurance products. And I worked for the insurance division. They said, well, you you do a good job talking to people. Why don't you take on this assignment? I'd not done any training ever before in my life. Maybe give some, you know, presentations in school, things like that. It was a whole new experience. And I really enjoyed it. It was really successful. And I went off of instinct purely. (laughs) Then over time, as I learned more about the whole profession of training, I read some books I went on to get an advanced degree in instructional design, which is really the underpinning for people that create curriculum for any type of business. And I've done work with with engineers, in manufacturing, sales, service, pretty much any content area I've worked in. So I'm kind of content free because my whole deal is to help people take whatever's going on in their head, what are their great ideas, and then help them to turn it into um, a course or a series of courses or a complete curriculum. Take the ideas in your head and turn them into a course mm-hmm. or a series of courses or curriculum. Okay. Yes. Um, that would suggest to me that you must have some really well-developed ideas on how to take what's in someone's head, help them take what's in their head, mm-hmm. and make it... Um, accessible to an audience, which is really a recurring theme on this program. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and one of the challenges is to really know, like, who your audience is and kind of Uh, where they are and what they need. And then then you've got somebody who's got tremendous expertise, and it's often hard when you're an expert to be able to take that information and distill it down to the right level, because there are some things that you know so well 
that you don't necessarily think to explain it. So I work with people, I do a lot of interviews or focus groups and actually watch people work and ask questions to go, okay, well, what, what are you doing now? What's happening now? How does that work? What does this mean? As a way to kind of extract that essential information. Extract that information. So I know a little bit about a whole lot of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I I get that. (laughs) I've worked with enough uh, scientists and engineers to be able to say I I know a little bit about, uh, oh, I don't know, environmental science and pharmaceutical science and any number of different things. Just enough to get myself in trouble, right? (laughs) Right. I've heard the phrase used, uh, you you didn't use it, but it it sounds very much like what you're describing, the curse of knowledge. Uh, Have you heard that expression before? Yes. Yeah, being able to, you know, that, that the difficulty, I won't say inability, but the difficulty of setting aside what you know and trying to imagine what it would be like not to know that. Yes. The the whole idea, too, of um, the beginner's mind. To, you know, oh. If you're going to take somebody all the way back to the beginning, how does that work? Because the best way to do it, though, is to start with what is it, what is the place that you want to take people to and work backward? And if you keep like sort of this backward chaining idea. Yeah. So if this is whatever that top level of knowledge is, mm-hmm. then what do I need to know that? And then what do I need to know that? And what do I need to know that? And just keep working backward uh, working until you backwards. get to the, to the basics. Until you know, you it's get like sometimes to... people... I'm sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> Sometimes people, if they think about when, you know, when you read something or you go through any, or you go through a course, it always starts with the introduction. So what do people want to do? They want to write the introduction first oh, instead of going, yeah. well, wait a minute, uh-huh. that's probably the last thing that I should write because yes. it has to kind of tee up where the road that I'm taking people down. And so if you're working backwards from the, the, the top level knowledge you want your students to acquire mm-hmm. and okay what did they need to know to get to that step what did they need to go to know to get to that step that that was kind of what you were saying right yes how do you know how far back to go well that's where you the other part is you look at who is the target audience and kind of so you meet them where they are so you want to get a good profile of who it is that you're going to be teaching meet because them where know, they with, are okay. with technical information are you doing a briefing for a ceo of a company perhaps or the, the executive team mm-hmm. who doesn't necessarily need to know every single detail but they need to get the sense of what is this program or product or service and how is it going to benefit the company? You know, what's going to make us choose to invest in this particular program or somebody else's program, as opposed to if you're working with, let's say it's a software application, and then you want to talk with the people that are actually going to build out the software. Well, you're going to take them, you're going to work in another level of detail with that particular group because they already understand all about coding and whatever the language is. They've got that landscape, right? So mm-hmm. they just need to be able to go from, this is what I know about how to create software, mm-hmm. and now I have to create this particular uh, program. So mm-hmm. they would get a very different type of briefing than the people that you're going to to say, hey, this is going to be a great idea. It's going to make us a lot of money, and here's how. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So it seems to me whether you're creating a course or whether you're creating a presentation that 
I mean, the main the main difference there is really if you're giving a presentation, the assumption is all of your audience is hearing it at the same time. Yes. Now, some may hear a, a recording of it and if mm-hmm. it's played back later, whereas with a course, if it's a typical online asynchronous course, people are consuming this content on their own schedule. Right. But beyond that difference, that that delivery difference, there seems to be a real commonality here in that you've got to know where your audience is starting. Absolutely. Where they're starting from. Yeah. Yeah. And where you want to take them. And where you want to take them. And right. The what difference do you want to make to your mm-hmm. audience? How do you want to improve their condition? Exactly. Yeah, that's kind of a, a recurring theme for me as well. Uh, what do you want your listeners, if you're giving a presentation, <laughs> exactly. to think, do, or feel differently when you're done? Yes. Um, why are they there to hear you speak? And how are you going to improve their condition by what you have to say? Exactly. Is, isn't that... That's really, you know, thing. that's the essence of it all. I mean, the fundamental question I I ask the similar question when I'm creating training: What do I want them to be able to do? Mm-hmm. What do they need to know to do it? Okay. What uh, is there any emotion tied to it? Is there any feeling that needs to be evoked? Right. Because it's all about helping people to make some sort of a change. So yes. you're always looking at, well, what's the transformation going to be? Oh, and, I love that. Yeah. You know, what we're building is that space between this is where somebody is today. This is, and this is when my hands are off that. <laughs> and this is where the, 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 the difference between where they are now and where you want to take them to. Right. The gap. The gap. It's the gap. Right. Right. I, I know that, that term from curriculum design gap analysis. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, so you've probably studied all kinds of, uh, you have an advanced degree in this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some tips or techniques you could quickly share with us that could help someone with that understanding of where their audience is starting out from and help them do an effective gap analysis, really, yeah, uh, for, a, for a speaker rather than a course designer? Sure. And they're very similar. It's just, I think what it comes down to, it's a, it's a bit of a different modality, sort of the, the end game, the mm-hmm. experience that what people are, are going to have is going to be different because it's a different delivery platform. But right. the principles in terms of shaping content are very similar. You're just thinking about, okay, what is it, what is it that I need to cover and how, what's the difference that it's going to make? Mm-hmm. And you, you, you focus on that first, and then you think about, well, how am I going to deliver this? That, that's, like the, that's, that's like the second part. Mm-hmm. But when you're trying to get to the essence of what to cover, the best place to start is to do really a target audience analysis. And this is not unlike if people have been doing any type of marketing. It's really looking at the, you know, who they are, what's their education level, what's their current work experience, what uh, are there any sort of motivating factors? Are there any demotivating factors? If, you know, pain points, problems to solve, uh, growth, expansion, whatever that might be. You want to look at kind of get a, get a really good picture of of who you're talking to. I work with someone, and she does a lot of work in manufacturing. And she always talks about Larry. So Larry has become this persona that whenever she's working on something, it's like, hmm. What would Larry do? <laughs> How would Larry feel about this? Mm-hmm. Would this help Larry? Would this so help she's Larry? got this real clear picture 
of Larry who runs a manufacturing plant. So all of those attributes that uh, fall into what a plant manufacturer does, what they're concerned about, what their needs are, she's always got that front of mind when she's working. She's like, hmm, what about Larry? So she's got the picture of Larry. And then there's whatever the, the, the project is that needs to be completed. So maybe it's working on coming up with what are the quality standards in the plant. So what, what needs to be put in place? Do they exist now? Do they not exist? Mm-hmm. Do they exist and they're not being followed? Mm-hmm. If they're not being followed, why? What are some yeah. of the repercussions if things aren't being manufactured to a particular standard? So you want to really look through what is it that needs to be accomplished. At the end of the day, when the program is done, mm-hmm. what's the change that's going to happen? So you right. get that picture of who that person is you're trying to serve. Mm-hmm. And then, as I said before, like, where are you, what is it that you want to get them to? Yeah. And then you, you, you can walk through and start to kind of gather information. Now, there's lots of ways to gather the information. There's you can interview people that are doing the work. You can read through all the relevant documentation. Mm-hmm. You can act, do observation. I'm going to be going and doing some observation of people on the job in a couple of weeks here, and that's going to be quite interesting to actually, because when you look at, well, how are they are, how are they working, and is the way that they're working matching mm-hmm. <laughs> the documentation? Sometimes right. it's true, sometimes it's not. Sometimes people yeah. have figured out shortcuts that are that are better. Sometimes maybe they're they're not doing something correctly. So to get a sense of what's being done correctly, what's not being done correctly. So this whole idea of just direct observation mm-hmm. to really get a sense of what's happening. And then interviewing people uh, about what they're, about the work, about the, whatever, or the idea mm-hmm. to get, okay, well, what what's happening there? And oftentimes it can be interesting that you'll find that there's what people will say and what they'll do will be different. And that's when it gets quite interesting. Like, mm-hmm. well, you said it worked like X, but you're really doing Y. Yeah. So what what's happening here? You then, know, then, you know, just, and then is there any research in best practices? You know, perhaps an organization wants to adopt a new, they're going to bring in a new type of software application you know, what, what's that problem is that new software going to solve for them? Why are they bringing it in? How is it going to help? Where is it being used effectively? Mm-hmm. So those are the types of things that you would kind of go out and you would look for. And this is when you're looking at, I'm thinking more in, the, uh, you know, technical training. Right. These are some things that you would kind of go through. Right. Technical training. So let's see if we can make a bridge, kind of generalize this to people sure. who are speaking to an audience. Um and, and, and not necessarily working at that level of, of detail of training somebody, but they've got information they want to present. Mm-hmm. And this is where technical presenters, uh, I think we've agreed, <laughs> uh, <laughs> often go wrong, is they're so focused on their information that they try to cram too much of it in. Yes. And uh, a friend of mine and, and a mentor in the speaking business, uh, Craig Valentine, who my audience members have heard me mention before, uh, has, always has a, a pithy phrase for things like this. He says, when you squeeze too much information in, you squeeze your audience out. Exactly. <laughs> and um, I, I think that so much of that happens with technical presentations 
because the presenters are not audience focused. They think here is my opportunity to present this information, yeah. this research, this engineering solution. This data. <laughs> this data. Yes, yeah. that's right. Uh, I, I've got a chunk of data here and I've got to feed it, feed you all of it. <laughs> right. Open your mouth real big because here comes yeah, a big it, bite of data. The, Instead the of thinking, is coming, people. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Instead of thinking, I have this amount of time with this audience. Who is my audience and what do they need in order to um, be curious enough to maybe want to go read my full paper? Yeah. Or to, to learn more about, uh, you know, to have, have, have a conversation with me to learn more about what we're doing or something like that. Um, because it's got to really be ultimately about what the audience needs yeah. and what the audience is prepared to accept, right? Exactly. And it does go back to purpose. Like why, why are you there? How, what, right. and maybe looking at it from the angle of, um, I'm here to be of service. I'm here to Ooh, help people. Yeah. So if I'm here to be of service to somebody else, mm-hmm. that's different than being of service to myself. You know, we can forget that, you know, by showing up and giving of our knowledge and our expertise, that's one of the best ways to um, attract people to us. That's true. And if you, I like the idea of squeezing people out. If you provide <laughs> too much information, you're going to lose them. Yeah. And they're not maybe going to remember, like, what was the really important part of this program? What is that? What is the main takeaway? Um, and if you send them away confused, or you send them away overwhelmed, so they can't remember what was really important, then have you been a service? Yeah. Yeah. You may have served your need to serve up information, but you haven't served the audience. And, you know, you said the why, and where I'd like to go with that is, you said, why are you here to present? But we also have to think, why is that audience here? Yes. What are they, what, why did they choose to attend a particular conference? Right. Let's say if we're thinking about conference presenters, Mm -hmm. why are, you know, why are they there? there And and why your session? Yeah. Why your session? What is it about that information that they believe is going to help them move Mm -hmm. forward in some way? You know, when you talk about moving forward um, and you talk about making a change for your audience, these things all imply that there's change going on. Mm-hmm. Um, another friend of mine in the speaking business, Darren LaCroix, says the most important thing in any presentation is what's happening in the minds of the listeners. And you're, you're making a change somehow. And I know from, from teaching change management as part of the leadership training that I do, that you have to consider what you're asking people to give up when you want them to adapt, uh, adopt something new. Um, and that anytime there's change, there's loss. If We're talking about intelligent adults here in your audience. They're mm-hmm. not a blank slate. They've already got... Um, an opinion or what they think they know about your topic, and now you're giving them new information that's going to displace something they thought they knew already. 
So how do you accommodate that little sense of loss that goes along with with getting something new? Because there's there's always a, an emotional response to loss, isn't there? Yeah. Even when change is positive, it's hard. Yes. Even when it's this is going to make a, a, a big difference. I've been working on a project. It's a new supply chain implementation, you know, company-wide, world, global, a global project. Mm-hmm. And it's going to make a big difference. They're going to have better data. They're going to be able to make better decisions. And yet people worked really hard on making some really awesome spreadsheets to figure out to do calculations on their own. They're going to have to give up something that they spent a lot of time that they invested mm-hmm. in. They They're invested going to have to set in. that aside to pick up something new. Yeah. It will be better in the long run, but it's perhaps going to be a little bit painful until they adjust and adapt. You know, there's that what's the old expression, you know, the devil that you know, that's <laughs> right. one that you don't know. Right. <laughs> so if you're designing a training around that, how do you accommodate that? How do you um, deal with their sense that, wait a minute, I had something here that was very familiar I had mastered that. I had a sense of mastery over this. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was a mess of spreadsheets, but they were my spreadsheets. I had mastered doing the job this old, clunky way, and you're taking that mastery away from me. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that in a training design? Well, here's the part of this that people have to really consider is that training is one piece of a whole change management initiative. Mm. So mm-hmm. if, so if let's say you have the content around, here's the new way of working, you've got to do some work on the front end before people even get into that classroom to talk about the benefits, to get gin up some excitement about, hey, this new program is coming and this is how it's going to help. And there's got to be all, you know, this get to kind of prepare people to go, okay, so that they're, they're open to a certain extent when they come in now, you know, people are people. Some people are going to be like, hey, I'm ready to go. And some people are like, ah, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you want to do what you can on the front end. Then you bring them into the training program. And where most programs fail, it's not that in the session itself. It's when people get on the job and they're back to work. There needs to be reinforcement. Reinforcement. I thought that's where you were going. Yeah. To uh-huh. to say, okay, we've learned this new way of working, and now we're going to start to apply it. And by the way, we really mean it. Mm. And mm-hmm. we're gonna, you know, we're gonna reward <laughs> yeah. you for doing it right. We're gonna stay on top of this. There's gonna be support mechanisms in place. Oftentimes, with the software implementation, there'll be people that are sort of super users that have been on the front line of it, that can be in there and they can help people move forward. But it has to be that it's going to matter on the job. And they're going to, and part of how someone is measured moving forward is tied into whatever this new, whether it's an application or a process, whatever the new thing is, they need to be measured on it. They need to know that the people that they work for are serious about it, or they'll just go back and they'll do whatever before. 
Now, if you're doing something in your external, so you're at a conference presenting, mm-hmm. there's an opportunity for a presenter to engage with a particular em- employer. So let's say a group of people attend this session. They're really excited about it. They think it's a great idea. But there has to be a way then for them to engage with that person after the fact in some way, whether it's a follow-on course or additional coaching or some um, guidance after the fact because oftentimes people like you're all jazzed up when you leave an event Mm -hmm. and then you get back to your office and then this is how things work here (laughs) that's right so there has to be so then you know where can people engage and support after the fact because the internal motivation is only going to take people so far if they don't feel like they can um, work it in to whatever they're their daily routine is, whether it's something personal or professional, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think you put your finger on something that is a key difference between creating a training and creating a presentation. Because the training, well, corporate training at least, the type of thing you're talking about where there's this setting in which people are expected to do something different. And you, you've given them the tools to know how to do that new and different thing. But as you say, that's got to be reinforced uh, reinforced both before people come to the training and after they've had it. Mm-hmm. Whereas speaking is usually a more isolated event. You know, if, if I'm speaking to an audience, um, there may be things that I'm going to encourage them to do differently as a result of hearing me speak. But I've got no, usually no mechanism by which to measure whether they do yeah, that. <laughs> exactly. And they're, they're going to leave there, and, and I'm going to hope that I made a difference to them. But uh, I usually don't have a way to follow up and measure that. Now, I, I may offer them a follow-up. You know, they may want uh, one of my books or to follow up with some training or a subsequent, uh, if it's a live speaking event, maybe we follow up with a, a webinar in 30 days to reinforce what we've done and, and try to effect some lasting change that way. But the, the opportunities for doing that and measuring it and reinforcing the change seem to be more limited for a speaker. It is more challenging because oftentimes that's a one-and-done type of an engagement. Right. There isn't always a follow-on program. Um, One thing that speakers can do is encourage people in the audience to work on, if you liked what you heard today, to create their own accountability system. Mm -hmm. And some people, and some people will, and some people won't. But it's always a challenge when you've got people, you're in that space and they're really motivated and then sort of the what's next Mm-hmm. And I think that's why a lot of speakers started putting in really kind of an aftercare sort of a program is here's what I can offer. Now it's up to the company whether or not they're going to take them up on it. Right. And oftentimes, you know, you'll send employees to do something, to do a program, and the supervisors have got to go too. Because if they don't mm-hmm. uh, get the benefit of it, it's going to be hard for them to provide the right level of support and reinforcement, right? To help people, yeah. co- you know, to continue on, and that's you know that's that is a challenge when you're in whether in a, in a corporate setting. Frankly, is people are stretched so thin, mm-hmm. they're going to do what they need to do to get the job done, and unless there's a reinforcement around, hey, 
we used to do X, now we're doing Y, they're going to keep doing X. So what is um, one thing that you think um, a technical presenter, because that's that's sort of who I'm Mm -hmm. reaching out to in this program, what is one thing you think that someone who's preparing to present technical information, data of some kind, at a, let's say, a conference, could do differently that would benefit from these things you've learned about course design and knowing your audience and and giving them some step to take afterward to reinforce it? I believe that what's very important is to look at what's the story that the facts are telling. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Would you repeat that, like, please? I, I, I know you'd that. like that. What is the story that the facts are telling? Yes. Because I really believe that I'm going to remember the story first, and then uh, then the facts will will come after the story. But the story is my anchor that's going to take me to the facts. I mean, if you think about it, you know, storytelling has been used to teach for as long as we've been on this planet as human beings. That's right. In, in <laughs> one probably, way It's probably or the another. most human thing that we do is to share yeah. our stories. And, it's, and it's, it's, a, it's even a natural part of conversation. I'll tell a little bit of a story. It'll trigger something in you. You're going to want to tell me a little. And it, I mean, I think we're constantly communicating in stories. And yet when people get up in the front of the room to do a presentation, they just go right to facts mm-hmm. and numbers. I mean, think about, I, I think a huge failing, it's, it's a little tangent here, but in school, when we're learning history, it was dates. Yes, right? that's right. This you have to memorize here, dates. This happened here, but hey, well, what happened? 1492. <laughs> yeah, but what's this? You know, what's the story? Right. Of, I mean, there's so much story in history, and yet we um, we forget about. We just kind of give here's the facts and this this this, but it it, it you know it doesn't humanize it. So what can you do to sort of humanize? Humanize. your content and what yes. can you do to make a connection and i mean you can say you know we did this study we get we collected this data we solved this problem but what does it mean what does it mean right what's right. what how is it going to benefit i one thing i like to think about is thing you know things like cordless tools wouldn't have happened without the space program because they needed to figure out how to repair, <laughs> get outside. Hey, there's, the cord's not going to reach. <laughs> the cord's not going to reach. Or maybe, right. you know, maybe, maybe it was other things in the space program. Yeah. But that's part of the. That's like one of the. That that's like part of a benefit of saying we need to invest in technology, and working on new new products, new approaches because it can you know ultimately there'll be a benefit. I don't know, did you see the robots dancing on 60 Minutes? Well, I did we, not. they spent a fortune teaching robots to dance. <laughs> but really what's, what's more important is how does robotics then play into manufacturing? Right. So, you know, you can watch the robot dance and go, well, that's cool, but okay. Okay. <laughs> I, what, what am I going to do? I have a dog. I'm fine. Um, <laughs> how do you take, you know, so you, you can say we, we created this. This is what it means. What's, you know... Um, by having robotics, this is how it's going to improve manufacturing or how it's going to improve warehousing or whatever it might be. So I think when you have this technical idea, what's the use case? 
the use case, right? How is it, you know, how, what, what do they see as the potential mm -hmm. for this idea? Yeah, Where there has to be a potential for it, some application for it, you know. Um, I, I've been into RF technology, radio frequency technology, since the time I was in broadcast engineering. Mm -hmm. And I have followed, to some extent, not so much the last few years, not in terms of all the particulars, but followed the development of, of ever more efficient ways of sending data through the, these things we mysteriously call the airwaves, even though they don't have anything to do with air. <laughs> And um, <laughs> so at, at one, in one sense, I think, for example, 5G technology is fascinating. In another sense, I don't know how it benefits me. I'm not rushing out to buy a 5G phone. <laughs> I haven't yeah, figured out what the old. use case is. Yeah, you know, I my, think they're my telling it's going to be great, but what does that mean? I'm not going to have as many calls drop? Yeah. Um, so what's the use case? What's the benefit? Right. right. Oh, I can download you know. movies to my phone faster. I don't watch movies on my phone. So, yeah, I'm sure there will probably be a use case that, that would resonate for me eventually, but it's not, not there yet. So it really comes back to the story. Yeah. I think it all comes down to what, you know, what, what is the story? What, what happened? You know, I think the, there's probably some interest in how people dis discovered mm -hmm. an idea or a concept. I think there's the discovery story. Yes. This is what, you know, I connected. Uh, there was a, a software company I worked for, and they came up with a way for uh, people to reconcile their bank account. And it was, it was, and the guy got the idea watching his kid playing on the floor with they had the cards that they have and they match they match different animals or oh, yeah, like match a, different plants. So he's right, watching him do this game. matching mm -hmm. game, and he went, that's what I need to do. I need to figure out how to match transactions. Mm. So this, you know, so the idea came from uh, watching his kid play to this yeah. technical solution. And then as then, then laid fast forwards when I worked for Zero, then it was you know, swiping, <laughs> which is a whole nother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole nother technology wow. to solve another problem. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but they kind of so these so things kind of um, blend together. You know, you're looking at something old, and then you you recreate it, and it's it becomes something new and unique. Mm -hmm. So there's the discovery story. The there's discovery the use story. Case, right. There's where and where you can take something, or to you know have it's, people question it's like questions that I ask uh, that I encourage people to ask in, in one of my books, um, I believe it was in the first one, The Speaker's Quick Guide to Telling Better Stories, people say to me, well, I've got all this wonderful data. I don't have a story, but I've got this wonderful data. It's fascinating. I've got to, I've got to present the data. And, and I always tell them, you do have a story. The story is, how did that data come into being? Or how did it become so fascinating to you that you've got to share it? Or mm -hmm. how is it going to make a difference to you and to the rest of the world? There's always a story if that data is worth presenting. You're, and and as, if you're a scientist, you're, you're trained to find the story in your data. But then are you, are you really versed in telling that story? Or do you get hung up in the data again? Yeah. yeah. I think people get very hung up in their data. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> it just doesn't stop. Yeah, there's so I much agree. data now. So Every much day data. there's just, more. Every day, yeah. I mean, my gosh, like a, how like many more? Like the mail, it never stops. <laughs> how many more um, uh, servers are being put online every day just to hold all the additional 
data that, that people are accumulating. Well, this has been a, a fascinating conversation. I've really enjoyed this. Um, Me too. And, and I like how you've reinforced some points about uh, that, that I like to make as well about knowing your audience and knowing what they need from you and having a, a secure starting point for meeting them where they are and then being able to tell the story of your data. So all wonderful points from a different perspective, from the perspective of not a a speaker so much as a course designer. So different different modalities, as you said, but many of the same questions. So thank you for appearing on The Power of Story and Science, Nancy. I appreciate you being here. Um, What did you want to leave the audience with? You had um, something that they could get from you. Yes, I have a piece that I wrote that's called Eight Easy Steps to Create Training That Sells, and it will really help people with coming up with sort of the overall structure and framework for creating content for any type of delivery platform. Not just for a course, but for any type of delivery platform. Any any type of presentation. I mean, I think... when we're imparting information, I think there's there's a lot of similarity around ferreting out your content. Yes, I agree. And then how you deliver it, that's where sort of the, the art and the magic happens. <laughs> so how can they get this from you? Well, you can get it off my website, and I will give you a link that you can add so that people can see it in the notes from the show. It'll be in the show link notes. It'll be right there. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's at nancygeary.com, right? Yes. Okay. I'll put the the full link um, into the show notes, and it'll appear on the screen for those who are watching this on YouTube. And for those of you who are listening on your favorite podcasting platform, you'll be able to find it in the show notes. So, Nancy Geary, thank you for being here with us today on The Power of Story and Science. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. And for anyone wanting to follow up with me, as uh, I've had some listeners do recently, you can go to the homepage for this program, which is simply storyandscience.com. That is storyandscience.com. We'll take you to the homepage, which is part of my website at davidodi.com, and there are buttons there that say Schedule Consultation, which allow you to grab any 15 minutes to work for you and me by seeing my calendar. And we can have a little Zoom call, as I had to do, got to do with uh, one of my audience members recently. And um, I think that covers it. Yeah, storyandscience.com. I'm David Odie. It's been a pleasure. And uh, as always, I thank you for being part of the Story and Science community. This has been The Power of Story and Science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.